Welcome to Radio Beacon, the podcast of Beacon Communications. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald, joined, as always, by Jake Morocco, editor of the Johnson Sunrise. Good morning, Jake. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's Friday. It's uh, pretty nice weather so far. I understand we're going to be getting some uh, little bit of snow overnight, although I don't think here it's going to be quite as bad as other parts of the region. Yeah. So. I am back. Uh, I'm in the office this morning. You're still uh, working from home. Um, it's fitting, I guess, that uh, dichotomy as the state, uh, the big news this week on the state level in this ongoing COVID-19 crisis, that the uh, stay-at-home order that's been in effect since uh, the very end of March uh, is being lifted, effective tomorrow. It expires today. Um, the governor made this official yesterday. Um there's a little bit of, uh, I mean, it, life's not going to change a whole lot under this. Um, you know, it's it's almost uh, a little bit symbolic, I guess. The you know the, the restriction on five or more people uh, uh, keeping social social gatherings under five people remains in place, as do a host of the other executive orders the governor has issued in the last several weeks. But um, um, at least uh, the stay-at-home order, which is kind of meant to discourage or restrict people from doing any non-essential travel or trips out to the store or anything, um, is being lifted. Um, retail businesses, non-essential retail businesses, are also reopening on a very limited capacity um, with the start of the first phase of the recovery plan. Um, this is another thing from this week, I guess. Uh, the governor outlined these kind of this three-phase recovery plan. Um, although now the days are, are blending together so much for me that I don't remember if it was earlier this week or last week but <laughs> that she actually unveiled that. Um, she's on another note. She's uh, She indicated yesterday that she's going down to five briefings a week starting this coming week. Yeah, it's, that's, that's understandable. I mean, it's we almost, it's got to be partly burnout, partly it's, you know, it's, doing this every she's been doing these every day with the exception of you know easter sunday or a day here or there uh for what six seven weeks now it's almost been two months she's been doing these every day and that's that's got to be taxing so it's uh it's it's understandable that she's going to cut it down to, to five times a week and it's it's almost like i mean reward is a lack of a better term but almost like a all right i think we're we're getting to the point where we're doing a little bit better so maybe daily updates aren't as necessary so it's nice to see uh, maybe some progress on that front. But, yeah, cutting it out to five times a week seems to be the, uh, the way it's going to go. Yeah. Well, I have, I have seen every one of them, I believe. So it's, it'll, be a, it'll be a nice little reprieve as well to, to have a chance to tune out. Um, so that was the big, you know, that's the big development on the statewide level this week. Um, there's a, a host of other things associated with it. Um, you know, the numbers continue to look, uh, you know, as though we have reached this this plateau that the governor's talked about. Um, we're recording this about 11 o'clock as usual on Friday morning. So we'll see in a couple of hours what the, the numbers look like. But um, um, hopefully this is the harbinger of, uh, you know, a more gradual, you know, I, I, theoretically, I guess, two weeks from now, um, phase two could start and that would be a little less restrictive. And then so on and so on. Uh, as part of this first phase, another note from this week is uh, that uh, uh, restaurants, uh, which have been so devastated by this whole crisis and have to, you know, 
either closed or totally upended their way of doing business, um, uh, may be allowed to resume uh, outdoor dining services on a pretty limited basis at some point in the next couple of weeks here. So we'll keep an eye for that. Um, elsewhere, uh, I'm trying to think if there was anything else major on the state this week that I'm, I'm uh, neglecting to mention. But, um, oh, the face mask order. That's uh, right. the other taking effect today, actually. Yes. That uh, um, for all folks, you know, previously the executive order guidance had been that uh, store employees, I believe, were mandated to wear masks while on the job. Now that has expanded to include uh, any Rhode Islander going out into public, um, outdoor or indoor public places. The governor took some pains to say that, you know, they're not trying to be um, you know, draconian about this, that uh, people should use best judgment and common sense. Um, you know, if you're out walking alone or with close friends, you know, family, close contacts, no need to wear a mask at that point, but have it on you. And then if somebody is passing by to, to put it on and obviously to wear it um, while you're in stores and, uh, you know, other closed environments like that, um, you know, the, the idea being that wearing the masks uh, limit the transmission of, uh, you know, these respiratory particles, these droplets that they, they talk about that uh, carry the virus can leave it on surfaces and things like that. So um, they say it does really cut down on uh, transmission. So that is in effect today. I know there was a little, uh, I haven't gotten the full scoop on this, but I saw the Warwick Police Union uh, made a bit of a stir, um, I think last night with a, a letter suggesting they will uh, not be issuing, the governor's order carries authority for fines for um, violators of this order. There are exceptions as well. It's important to note for people with health conditions who you know can't wear a mask for those reasons, or for really young kids. Um, so I assume I will have more in the beacon, more coverage of the the War Police Union stance on not enforcing that aspect of uh, of the order um, going forward. Um, other local uh, uh, Mayor Fung in Cranston uh, announced yesterday, and as part of the. Uh, uh, or in keeping with the governor's newest order and the lifting of the stay-at-home restriction, uh, Cranston will open back up its walking tracks and tennis courts, although other recreation facilities will remain closed at this point. So that was another notable uh, response. I know Providence has reopened uh, some of its. It had previously closed Roger Williams Park and other facilities for uh, vehicular and pedestrian traffic and a lot of the green spaces and roadways and uh, Roger Williams Park, to my understanding, has reopened a little bit as well. So for some Cranstonians, that'll be welcome news. Um, elsewhere, on the, any other developments on uh, on your end, Jake, on the the COVID nineteen front locally? Well, probably the biggest development was uh, uh, Council Vice President Joe Policina Jr. introducing an ordinance on Monday. Actually, kind of gave us uh, gave us the scoop there on uh, I think it was this past Monday about uh, they're gonna he's gonna introduce an ordinance coming on Monday that uh, outdoor licenses will be granted on a temporary basis to pretty much every restaurant in town. He said in good standing, so I'm assuming if they paid all their taxes, have all their licenses and all that stuff, uh, they'll be granted temporary outdoor dining licenses so that when dine-in services become available in any capacity, they can kind of open back up a, a little quicker. Because, uh, you know, they know how, like you mentioned, the restaurant uh, industry has kind of been decimated by uh, this crisis. So he's introducing that Monday. Uh, I talked to him about it. I talked to the mayor about it. They're obviously both in agreement, both in lockstep, that it's a, you know, it's a smart idea. And it's, it is a good idea. I mean, it's anything that can help at this rate. And, you know, it's, it's I mean, 
he said the temporary licenses, they don't include entertainment, obviously. You know, they still have to abide by the health, safety protocols, social distancing, all that stuff. And if there are issues, show cause hearings will be held before the council. So rather than having everybody apply for these at, you know, at once and having to virtually come before the council and, you know, there'd be a backlog, pretty much just do it in mass and uh, help everybody try to get back on their feet as quickly as possible. So that's probably the biggest development uh, here. The mayor did furlough part-time workers. He said there are no plans to lay off full-time employees, uh, but he did have an interesting comment regarding a potential tax increase, which he didn't say there would be one. He said there was one. It would uh, rest on the shoulders of the Johnson delegation at the state house. Uh, so he said if there's level funding, the town will be okay, but if there are significant cuts, there's going to be uh, a, pr- a problem here or there when it comes to the budget. So those are probably the two biggest developments in town, and uh, both of them either directly or indirectly, unsurprisingly, relate to the uh, the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, municipal finances are going to be a major issue for us going forward uh, mm. um, in Cranston. On the Cranston side, uh, Mayor Fung last week introduced his budget plan. He did not call for a tax increase, uh, but the budget has, has uh, led to some uh, caused some political sparks, we should say, uh, mm. between uh, the mayor and a couple of his prospective successors. Uh, um, Council President Mike Farina um, put out a statement pretty critical of the mayor's budget plan, suggesting that it has a structural deficit built in that it uh, doesn't account for adequately for likely decreases in revenue from things like the meals tax. Um, the mayor shot back with a pretty, uh, as you know, Jake, pretty strongly worded statement uh, uh, right back at, at the council president, um, kind of speaking to the icy relations between the two of them. And uh, then councilman Ken Hopkins, who is also uh, a Republican running for mayor, who's been endorsed by, by the current mayor uh, issued his own statement that kind of, wasn't uh, uh, as inflammatory, I guess, but uh, you know, got himself into the discussion. So we'll be watching those budget hearings in Cranston are starting tomorrow morning, actually, but uh, the council's finance committee uh, is going to hold a series of uh, probably pretty lengthy uh, virtual WebEx meetings to, to go through the budget. So um, the big, uh, big ticket uh, hearing will likely be uh, Tuesday night, the school department, uh, Cranston Public Schools will be going for their budget hearing. Um, they got some good news this week as well. I'd make note uh, the the finance committee, the city council's finance committee, uh, gave initial blessing to the district's $147 million bond question proposal. Uh, that money would help fund a really ambitious uh, facilities improvement project, including the complete reconstruction of uh, at least Gladstone School, I believe, um, and a number of other projects at, at five schools throughout the city. Um, which they hope to put before voters in the fall. And it's garnered a lot of, it had a lot of momentum and positive support uh, before this whole crisis. Obviously it's, uh, um, the situation has uh, affected everyone's bottom line. So we'll see how the reception is going forward. All the council people last week were, um, were very supportive of the district's push. Um, elsewhere, uh, locally, we had some some good stuff this week. We, um, you know, I I profiled a little uh, um, this woman Amanda Shiana in uh, the Patuxent section of, of Cranston and Warwick um, has launched this Village Masks initiative, and she's been uh, putting up this informational board with free masks for people in the village. So that was a nice story, a good interview. Um, Alex Sponsler, our sports editor, he's been pitching in on the news side. He covered last week a uh, this virtual forum focused on the issue of domestic violence, featured the governor, members of the congressional delegation, 
um, a number of other state uh, leaders. Um, that was a good read. Um, we had some good news stories in the Herald about uh, ways that um, local businesses and students are um, giving back and, and helping the community. Um, we had some sadder stories on the Beacon side. I know John, um, actually, I don't think it was John. I think it was Alex uh, did a profile of Sister Mary Angelus, who was well-known in the local Catholic educational community. She unfortunately passed away um, over the weekend, this past weekend, as a result of COVID-19. Um, uh, John also, John Howell, our publisher and the editor of the War Beacon, um, profiled uh, or, or covered an event um, uh, remembering a nurse who passed away at Kent uh, uh, Hospital. So, um, you know, important, sad and somber reminders of the toll that uh, this, this crisis has taken, um, which we see every day. The death toll continues to rise. And um, uh, our, our thoughts and our, our, our condolences go out to all of those who have been touched by this, uh, by this pandemic. Um, on a brighter note, um, for this week's uh, guest, uh, we uh, are really pleased to welcome Joe Palino. He's the former mayor of Providence. He's director of the uh, former director of the State's Department of Economic Development. He served uh, as an ambassador to Malta under President Bill Clinton, and he's uh, best known today as a managing partner of Palino Properties, um, based in Providence. Um, he, uh, a former colleague of ours, who's well known to Beacon readers, Ethan Hartley, currently works for Mr. Paolino. And uh, Ethan had put on our radar um, a couple of uh, cool things that Paolino Properties is doing, some pretty innovative technology that they're adopting at, uh, at a couple of their properties, including their flagship building at 100 Westminster Street in Providence. Um, these are uh, include a, a UV air purification system um, that's meant to, you know, obviously filter and, and limit uh, exposure to contaminants, and then uh, a thermal scan uh, system at uh, the 100 Westminster Building as well. Um, both of these obviously kind of aimed at, you know, getting ahead of the curve in terms of what. Uh, um, the world is going to look like going forward after this pandemic, um, both meant to, you know, keep, uh, um, you know, the, the governor's talked this week about how employers, as people come back to work, are going to have to incorporate tools such as health screenings at the door, um, you know, temperature checks, things like that. Um, so Paleno Properties has gotten uh, out in front of this with some really innovative, um, a really innovative approach. Um, to incorporate some of that technology on a larger scale. Um, and I imagine that we're going to see this more and more going forward at, at large facilities like that and elsewhere. So uh, Mr. Palino tells us a little bit about uh, that technology and those projects. He also, uh, during our discussion, um, he shares some background about his, uh, it's quite an interesting story, his family's history in the business, um, his career in politics and public service, which has included uh, runs for governor. Um, and uh, then we get into his thoughts a little bit about the current climate and its effect on business and um, his political uh, future going forward. So um, we'll head to, to that interview now, my interview, my conversation with Joe Paolino, and then we'll pop back in for a really brief wrap up.
We're joined on Radio Beacon this morning by Joe Paolino, the managing partner of Paolino Properties. Mr. Paolino, thank you so much for making the time and joining us today. Dan, good morning. Good to be with you and your listeners. Um, perhaps you could start out for, and you've got an extensive career in politics and public service and business. Perhaps for those of uh, our listeners outside of Providence, um, you could give us a little bit of your background, your career and and uh, what Paleno Properties does and, and its holdings and things like that. Sure. Well, you're going to make me get old again. <laughs> uh, get old pretty fast. Um, when I was 23 years old, I became a city councilman in the city of Providence. Um, when I was 27, I was the president of the city council. And then um, in 1984, uh, when I was 28 years old, um, there was a vacancy in the mayor's office. Mayor had to resign from office. Mm -hmm. I became the acting mayor and then ran and won that seat on my own um, and served as mayor for about seven years. Um, back in 1990, I ran for governor. Uh, Bruce Summon defeated me. It was he, Mayor uh, Frank Flaherty from Warwick, and myself. And then after he won, he asked me if I would, uh, I had no idea I'd, I'd stay in government. Uh, but he came, he called me on a New Year's Eve. We had lunch at the old canteen restaurant and um, asked me if I'd head up economic development for the state. He told me that the state had a lot of challenging issues in front of them. He didn't, he wasn't specific, but the problem that he had facing him was he was going to call for a bank holiday and close all the credit unions. And he, he felt that he needed somebody that had uh, experience and putting together deals and putting together economic development and making and, and somebody who had, had had visibility so that when I talked to business people or government leaders or whatever, that number one, I was a known quantity and number two, I knew what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. So I did that for approximately three years. And then back in, and then the 1993 president, uh, Bill Clinton, appointed me as United States ambassador to Malta. And here I am, I'm 39 years old and I have a young family and I'm moving everybody, you know, uh, 6,000 miles away. And yeah. we, we lived in Malta for over two years and I served in that capacity as um, the president's representative, as United States ambassador um, to the nation of Malta. Then I came back. And I joined my dad in our real estate uh, holding company, which started really in 1900 by my great-grandfather. When my great-grandfather, who I remember very well, um, he came over in 1894 from Italy. And, and then uh, as, as a young man of about 16, 17 years old, and then he, he, be, he became a carpenter. He was building houses in Federal Hill. And um, then he got married, had children, and my grandfather was born. He was the oldest. He was born in 1900 here in America. And um, off they were. The Paolino family was involved in uh, in real estate and, and really investment and, and, and three-decker homes and, and some commercial properties. That's in the early 1900s. And also involved in the insurance business. Um, as time went on, my dad, uh, was born in 1929 and, um, he, um, he got involved in, in the business when he graduated college, but he was really, as a young guy, he was always working and always doing more than, 
one thing when he was in high school, uh, college, he was always working. And my mom, um, her family was from the Fiddle Hill neighborhood. Judge Luigi Di Pasquale, uh, which Di Pasquale Plaza is named after, uh, was my grandfather. And um, my mom was 19, my father was 21, and they got married. Those, you know, those days you got married very young. Um, as time went on, the, they had uh, my sister and myself. Uh, I went to, you know, schools, Catholic schools, and LaSalle Academy, and then I went to Roger Williams University and and did that, and and then I was frustrated because I wanted to further my education and. Harvard University had a great program. It was an extension program that had open admission, but it was very difficult to stay in. You had to maintain high grades. And it took me years, maybe seven years, to get my master's degree there. And I ended up graduating when I was the mayor of the city of Providence. No one. Because I was going part-time. Um, before I was a councilman, Lieutenant Governor Tom DiLulio, um asked me if I would be a chief of staff, I was 21 years old, and the condition that he put on me is that um, I had to continue going to school and I'd have to go uh, nights and weekends if I wanted to work for him, mm -hmm. uh, which I agreed to. Um, anyways, when I came back from Malta, uh, I joined my family, uh, my dad, and, and we got back in the real estate business, and, and it's something I never wanted to do when I was young. Uh, I always wanted to be mayor, governor, president. Um, Politics was a passion that I had. Uh, public policy, the formulation of public policy, making things happen, changing things, um, um, changing things visually. Wondering when I was a young boy, why Providence couldn't be like more like Boston? Uh, why couldn't we be more like New York? Why couldn't we take the best of some major cities and try to instill that in the city? Um, as governor, why, you know, how I could try to make major things happen, how we can try to protect climate change, how we can expand economic development, how we can end homelessness, how we could try to make education better. You know, these were things as a young boy, that as a young man, as an adult, have always pretty much been important to me. Uh, I'm on the sidelines pretty much now, but it doesn't mean that my passion for seeing things happen and just seeing positive change take place, um, that passion hasn't left me one bit. Sure. Um, when I got involved, I, I made a run for mayor of Providence back in 2002. It was when Buddy left office the, the second time. Mm -hmm. And I was somewhat conflicted because my life, I was really happy. and I was making money and things were going well. And I felt there was a tremendous void that was would happen when he was leaving office. Uh, during our political days, he and I never had a good relationship. He would joke that we were on a last name basis with each other. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he didn't like it when I took over after him, and I didn't like it that he came in after me. Um, but as time goes on, you mature, and you grow, and you learn. And and, and um, we ended up uh, forging a friendship uh, later on in life, uh, one that I'm very glad that we did. Mm. Um, but I had a brief run. I got into a race at the last minute, um, and um, uh, Dave Cicilline won that race. I, next day, I went back in my office and kept on working. Yeah. Um, and uh, Bruce Sutherland used to have a saying that the first third of his life he learned, second third of his life he earned, and then the last third of his life he wanted to serve. Mm -hmm. And I guess my 
life has been the first quarter of my life of uh, tried to learn, although we learn every day, I hope. And then I served, and now I'm earning. Yeah. And um, and, and, and things have been good. I mean, I the, the kind of development and real estate. We're, we're really not developers as much as we are um, property owners. And we have a real estate holding company, mm-hmm. and we try to buy property and fix it up and make it better, um, and do de- development within those properties. We don't do a lot of selling. Uh, we try to lease out. We try to develop, and uh, properties range from a marina um, and a condo development that I did in Newport, right on the waterfront, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful marina, the Brown and Howard Marina, um, to um, we are partners with the Prakashanti Group in the um, in the Lighthouse Inn, that property in Galilee that we hope to come around to developing, uh, hopefully in the future, um, to um, properties that are in Pawtucket and Warwick and Johnson and Cranston and and heavily in Providence. Yeah. Um, and we've gone out of state from time to time uh, to do things. Um, we don't have a lot of partners on specific projects we might. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, I lost my dad, who was a great teacher and probably my best friend. Um, I lost him about eight years ago. And um, he was a wonderful teacher, but he, he helped teach me when I was like seven years old and I would be in the car with him and he'd be driving around collecting rent on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom and dad got divorced when I was young. And so the kind of time that my dad spent with me was, you know, taking a ride with him and watching him work and, and having that, that moment. I mean, he wasn't the kind of guy that played catch with me uh, or take me to a ball game. That's just how they were in those days. Um, but him having my presence with him was very important to him and it was very important to me. Sure. Talking about... Uh your business and your, your, your various properties. I know recently you announced, um, a couple of pretty innovative, uh, technological projects at, uh, two of your properties, um, a, a new thermal scan system at 100 Westminster street in Providence, and then a, uh, UV air purification system at the same building. And also at the Beatrice hotel, um, both are kind of designed to, you know, for, for health screening purposes, as people come into the door with an eye toward keeping, um, keeping tenants and, and visitors safe and uh, and helping combat the spread of, of the coronavirus. Can you tell us a little bit about how these came onto your radar and, and what your sure. hopes are with these? Sure. I'm lucky I have young some young, smart people that work for me. Ethan Holly's one of them. My daughter, Jennifer, is another one. And, um, you know, for people in my generation, I'm 65 years old, you know, this, uh, this virus didn't hit us as quickly um, of the urgency as I think it did for the younger people. Mm. And when we met in the office talking about putting together preparation for things, you know, if you don't see something, you don't think of it. You know, you can't see a virus. So so to us, maybe in the very beginning, it's not as important. But to the younger people, it is. And that's why I told you we always have to learn every day. Mm. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I want everybody else smarter than me because I want to learn and continue to learn. Well, um, through this whole thing, we started putting together programs, how to workers work remote, who comes in the office, who wants to work remotely and 
you know, and I'm kind of somewhat foreign to that because how do you work from home? That's how I am. How do you work with dogs barking and kids yelling and and your your spouse talking to you and people interrupting and I'm not used to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was uh, challenging for me to try to adjust to it, but through this process, uh, my daughter, who, who just started working with us just about a year ago, um, she was talking about a college classmate who was at Brown, was working for a company that uh, from SeekScan. And, and through this process, we're all now listening to webinars and we're reading various periodicals. What are they doing in China? What are they doing in Europe? What are other states doing? Um, you know, I feel like I go to governor school every day watching Governor Cuomo and Governor Raimondo. Mm. Um, because to me, they're both very smart and doing a very good job for their respective states. And so anyways, Jennifer, I said to her one day, is there any, can you check for me and go online? Is there any kind of programs to take people's temperatures or, or, or some way to scan people before they come in a building? I know that when I go to a, to the airport or if I go to a ball game and, there's a company called Clear, C-L-E-A-R. Mm. And you put your two fingers on on it, and it says, okay, that's Joe Pilino, and I can get in. It's kind of like a TSA, but it gets me through quicker, and, 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 and I pay for that. Well, TSA we have at the airports. Well, now I think we're going to enter a new era, really taking people's temperatures, and it's making us more aware of our own health and the health of our neighbor. Mm. And... Um, you know, where the Bible says, love thy neighbor as thyself for the love of God, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to be fanatic on, you know, religious on this, but we have to, you know, you know, if you don't wear your masks, it's not, you're not being respectful to the person next to you. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to, we have to think now, not just for ourselves, but for the other person. So anyways, she, we got the C-scan. I talked to them on the phone. They told me it would take months to get it. I said to them, I don't like waiting and I'm not going to wait months and you got to do it now and blah, blah, blah. And they got me one right away and we started testing it. And I said, in our office building, see, I, I think we own, I think Paleo Properties happens to own probably the most prestige office building in the state of Rhode Island at 100 Westminster Street. Mm-hmm. We have prestigious tenants, it's a prestigious building. It's um, attractive, very attractive. Attractively appealing when you drive by it. We have spent millions of dollars on it to just to light up the building at nighttime. And every day we say goodnight to the Hasbro kids by flickering on our lights when when um, when there's something going on with the uh, where the governor wants to celebrate the nurses, and we put the colors of our building on the same as the state house to show respect. So we do it on Valentine's Day. We'll make it all pink. You know, breast cancer, we'll make it pink. So I think it's a very premium building. Anyways, I said, look, during this time period, let's have a skeleton cruiser and let's see if the seat scan works. Let's work with our security people mm-hmm. and, and see how it works. And so far, it's been working well. We have bought some other uh, machines also that we're going to be trying out. And we have enough buildings that we can spread them out, but we're trying to use this building as the test building. Sure. And then then with the construction going on with the Beatrice Hotel, which connects into our office tower, um, my contractor, uh, Steve Napper, came to me and told me about um, this bio wall product where they put 
we, the, we had kills of bacteria and viruses and molds and, and, and microbes. And it, it, it's an ultraviolet light and it purifies uh, the germs that go through the air filters. Mm. And, I, and he asked me if I wanted to do something like that in the hotel. I said, uh, yeah. And I said, not only the hotel, let's do the office building and let's see how it works and let's start getting prices and doing our other properties with it too. So what's a, I hope I'm not rambling too much with you, but no, no. You know, I'm trying to give you the, the whole background, but I want to tell you something that I've said before, and this was what's happening to our society. Um, in 1989, which is many years ago, was the first time I ever visited Europe. And I went to Italy, and I landed in Rome. When I got out of the airport, I saw military personnel in, in the airport and outside of the airport with machine guns. And I shook my head and said to some friends of mine, you know, I'm so, why are they, these military people here? They said, oh, all our airports, we always have military people here in case it's terrorism. Terrorism? I don't know what terrorism is, right? This 1989. Time goes on. I become U.S. ambassador. I travel all throughout Europe, every airport in Europe, military people, machine guns, terrorism, what's going, what's happened in, in, in um, all throughout Europe, what's happened in Israel, what's happened in the Arab countries, and, and what's happened in other parts of the world, and I'm more in tune of what's going on. And I go, you know how lucky we are to live in the United States of America. We don't have to live through that kind of police state. Then one day I'm getting a haircut on September the 11th, 2001. And the TV is on in the barbershop. And I see a plane hit the World Trade Center. Mm. And I see another plane hit the, the other World Trade Center building. And now we all experience what terrorism is. So now when we go to the airport, from the days of me leaving my house in Providence, getting to the airport and getting a seat on a plane all within 20 minutes, and that's me even parking my car, which I could have done in the 70s and the 80s. I can't do that today. I better leave two hours in advance. So I go through a screening process mm. and I'm waiting in line. And when they tell me to go through the security a second time, Sometimes we'll say, gee, I didn't do anything wrong. Why are they doing this? I used to look at it differently. I say, I'm glad they're checking me. I'm glad they're checking everybody because I don't want to blow up at a plane. Now we have this virus and now we're wearing face masks. We have to go through scanners to see if we have a temperature. We'll go into a restaurant and see only maybe a, a quarter of it full. We may have to use paper plates for a while. You know, we're, this, we're entering into a new world. And it'll adjust. It's not going to be what it was, but it won't be as fanatic as it is today. Um, but we're learning through this. And the younger people are learning through this. And the younger people will be more prepared in the future than my generation was for this. Sure. So, so now when we go to the airport, not only are they going to check us for security, they're going to check and see if we have a fever. If we have a fever, they're not going to let us on that plane. At least I hope they don't. Yeah. So you see this new technology is getting ahead of the curve, really, and adapting early to to a new world. I think so. And I think whatever technology we have out today will probably be obsolete a year from now. But we have to try to do as much as we can to make our people safe. We In our building, we have some construction going on. 
and um, one of the uh, construction workers, they're working for another company. They don't work for me, but they just happen to be in my building for a new tenant. Um, their wife, they live in Worcester, and their wife got the virus. And so they had to inform me of that. I said, shut the construction site down. What do you mean? He doesn't have it. He was tested. Shut the construction site down. You can't do that. I'm doing it. Shut it down. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to get tested. Now, am I overdoing it? I'd rather overdo it than underdo it. Sure. And let everybody get tested. I want my building, our properties to be the safest properties, safest buildings for my tenants, for my for the visitors, for people I've never met before, and for me and my fellow co-workers than any building around. And we have to do what we can. If we learn new technology, let's try to do it. I had a call the other day from a, a friend of mine who told me that there's a technology that you have an app and that the app, if you go into a restaurant, the menu will immediately appear on your iPhone with this app. That way you don't have to touch a menu. You don't have to touch someone else's um, products. You can just touch your own phone. We have a phone sanitizer in our office where everybody can put their iPhone in for 30 seconds and sanitizes it and you take it out. Mm. All you do is ultraviolet light. Yeah. So we're learning new things and we're learning pretty fast. And we could stumble around uh, along the way. Uh, but if we don't open up our eyes and understand that we're entering into a new era, shame on us. Sure. As an editor's note, my conversation with uh, Mr. Paolino ran a little long. We broke it up into two parts. The question was cut off um, of, of, for his next response. I asked him about the effects of the current crisis on his tenants and the, the business community more broadly. Uh, none of them can pay their rent. None of them are doing any business. They can't pay their own bills. Mm -hmm. And as a landlord, I need rent in order to pay my mortgages. I have to pay taxes, I have to pay electricity, I have to pay heat, I have to pay the mortgage, I have to pay the, uh, building personnel, our maintenance personnel. Um, but what do you do when you're, you know, and, you got, and if you have common sense and if you have compassion, and a restaurant guy or, or family can't pay their rent, what do you do? You pay it or win a victory, you don't do that. And you work with them and you tell them, don't worry about it, don't let me keep you up at night. Don't let me keep you up at night. That's what that's what I've said to our restaurant people. Mm -hmm. You know, you do what you got to do. We'll catch up. We'll figure it out. You do what you have to do. I'll figure out my problems. You figure out yours. And if I can help you with yours, I want to do it. Um, so with restaurants, you got to show great compassion. Yeah. Um, residential people are paying their rents. Um, rent, they're, they're, they're paying. And, and um, remember this, too. A lot of people are saving money. Because I, I can tell you, I, I kid everybody, I think the credit card companies called my office to see if I died because they haven't seen any charges on my credit cards. <laughs> so, the, you know, so there is, you know, some, you know, so, but the, the people that have apartments are paying, my office tenants are paying, some have asked me if they, if I can work with them a little bit, which we, which we'll try if we can. If it's a national tenant out there, let's say, um, like I had one national tenant called me in a shopping center of ours, 
that said that they um, wanted an advance on their rent. And so I said to them, they're a pet store. I don't want to say which one. And I said, but you're open every day. Yes, we are. I said, are you a franchisee or are you a company owned? Oh, the company owns us. I said, pay your rent. You're open. Pay your rent. Mm-hmm. Your company can afford it. Pay your rent. If they were a franchisee, I'd think different. If they're a local mom and pop, I'd think different. So every single time you talk to a tenant, um, their problem is different than someone else's. And you have to listen. And it's put me in a position. Um, I mean, you know, there's always a silver lining through a crisis. I always say don't never let a, an opportunity, um, never, let a, never miss an opportunity through a crisis. And because you can always find something. And it's make me get a little bit more in tune with my tenants, uh, get to know them more, talk to them. Um, you know, when times are good, you get, money's come in. You know, you don't see some of the problems you may have in your own company even. So it's gotten me even more involved. And, and so that's part of a silver lining on it. And I think, you know, I don't want to be taken advantage of, but I, uh, but I, I don't want to take advantage of anybody either. Sure. What's your view of the, the state's handling of the crisis so far? Um, I, think, I think this is a wonderful opportunity. Well, let me put it this way. I don't think people knew Gina Raimondo until they saw this. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's been elected governor twice. She was elected general treasurer once. But I don't think they really knew her. They're seeing her now. And I think she was the right person at the right time. Um, she has been cautious. She's been communicative. People just want to hear from you. If, if you hide, if you, if you stay away, if you deny a problem that's in front of you, they can see right through you. She has not done that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and having the, the, uh, the, the Department of Health with her all the time, I think the National Guard has done an outstanding job. Um, she, I think, has done a wonderful job. Now, the problem, the, the key word that we're going to learn for 2020 and 2021 is going to be transition and how do you how do you transition in and how do you transition out? Mm-hmm. So we're in a transition, and I don't want to um, put any um, false um, uh, false issues out there, but we're going to have a terrible financial situation in front of us. This reminds me of 2008, but worse. Yeah. And my dad used to say to me back then, he said, Joe, listen. I said, Dad, what do you mean? He said, no, no, just listen. I'd be listening like five seconds, 10 seconds. Dad, I don't hear anything. He said, that's the problem, neither do I. Our phone's not ringing. Mm-hmm. He said, business is dead. He said, and that's a problem. He said, I've never seen it this bad in my life. And he was 80 years old. Uh, back then. He said, I've never seen it this bad. Now I'm 65. I never thought I saw it as bad as 2008. I'm seeing it now. Yeah. Another, uh, another aspect of all this that I thought you would have some good perspective on, you know, obviously it's an election year. Um, this is going to really disrupt, you know, every aspect of campaigning from, you know, going door to door, raising money, um, how do you see it playing out? How do what ways do you see uh, uh, candidates needing to, to change their approaches going forward? Number one, I think it's uh, for the public. I think it's the last thing in the public's mind, and I think if anybody knocks on their door, it will be annoying to the public. Mm. And I had somebody call me up 
for a contribution that was in, from another state. Um, and the guy was a governor, and he's running for another office. He called me up, and I said, Governor, all due respect, I said, do you really think it's appropriate for you to call me for a donation when what's going on in our society today? Mm-hmm. And, and, and quite frankly, I was turned off by the guy uh, that he did that. And, and, I thought, and I think he's a good guy, but um, Jesus, I mean, give us all a break. People are fighting for money over here. People are fighting for their livelihoods. We have people dying in front of us. We have our parents and grandparents. Uh, they're in nursing homes. We can't even see them. So, and you call me for a contribution. So I think either everybody locally gets reelected or everybody's going to get thrown out. Mm-hmm. It's going to be one or the other. I don't think there's going to be a happy medium there. Yeah. But um, I, you're not going to see the, the, the rallies and the fundraisers and the door-to-door canvassing take place. You'll probably see uh, either direct mail, and even then people don't want to pick up the mail. Mm-hmm. So probably direct email. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a very different environment for sure. Um, Anybody who's technology-wise, which I am not, uh, can will do better than others because that's how you have to communicate with people at least for the 2020 election mm-hmm. locally here. Sure. I guess the last thing I would ask, uh, have you, uh, I know in the past recently, uh, I guess last year maybe you, you expressed that you might be uh, looking to get back into the fray, maybe another run for governor. Is getting back into public life in that way something you're still looking at? You know, I am, and, 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 and there's a reason too. I got two grandchildren, and believe it or not, this stuff hits you when you think about what you're doing in life and and I can either start continuing to earn and, I, and we've done well I have nothing to cry about I've been very successful and, and I'm fortunate and I don't know if I'm lucky or smart but I've been fortunate that I do know and uh, and you say to yourself do you keep doing what you're doing or is it time to give back again and when I look at my grandson Leo who's four years old who I haven't been able to hold since mid-March and how I see him every night when I drive home and I have to sit in my car and he comes out to the sidewalk and I see my other grandson who's nine months old and I have to, he's in my other daughter's house and I have to see people remotely like that and you have to have, and you can't spend Easter together and, and it, it makes you reflect, can we make our society better? You know, it makes you think about education in our state. It makes you think about the climate change. It makes you think, can a, a typical politician straighten out the economy in our state or maybe some business sense should come back in and play to try to do that? And, and how do you make things happen? Are we going to lose companies um, or can we try to keep them? So a lot of that stuff I think about. And, and I don't have to think about it as governor of Rhode Island. I can think about it as a business person. I mean, I'm very secure in my skin. I don't need another title. I've done great in my life. I've been a mayor at the age of 28, 29 years old. I've been a U.S. ambassador, so I don't need a title. Um, but getting, but making things happen, having a, the sense of urgency that I see a, that's lacking uh, today, that kicking the can of the problem down the street instead of facing the problems now, uh, stuff like that bothers me. Wondering what's going to happen to state employees' pensions when we just saw through this virus a billion dollars has been lost in the in the pension system. Man, when I was mayor of Providence, the pension system was funded 
today in Providence, it's funded like 22%. Um, these employees, what's going to happen to them? So, again, maybe you need somebody who just wants to be there and isn't waiting to, you know, run for the next office. So I think about that, and yeah, I am giving a serious thought. I don't know if I'm actually going to do it or not, but I, I, but I do think about it, and, and if I can make things happen, um, and if I can, you know, figure out what happens with this business and all, um, I mean, I can't be Trump. You run a business from the White House. I mean, you know, so I got some, you know, some pretty big decisions. But I get young. I have children who are who are getting older and mature. We have a good staff of people, and and if I end up making that decision, then there'll be other decisions made with it. Sure. Thanks again to Joe Paolino uh, for taking the time to speak with us. It was a really interesting conversation. Uh, make a note, too, uh, just a special thanks again to uh, Barbara Ann Fenton Fung and Mayor Alan Fung from Cranston for joining us last week. Obviously, they've uh, been in a tough spot, um, as listeners know, following Barbara Ann's uh, COVID-19 diagnosis. Uh, I did get a quick update from her a couple of days ago. Um, she said the mayor remains asymptomatic, which is great. And... Uh, that she is, you know, dealing with the symptoms, but but she seemed in good spirits and uh, seemed to be getting uh, on the road to recovery. So we wish uh, her the best, and we hope they're both doing well. Um, as always, we uh, we wrap up each week's edition with a little bit of a lighter uh, lighter focus, going over some of the uh, various media, television, uh, music, etc., that we're consuming during these uh, crazy times, especially when we're cooped up at home at night. Um, so Jake, what's been, uh, what's been on your radar this week? Uh, I've been a little slow getting into my, uh, my playlist, but I've been listening to some, uh, some new stuff. Probably the best thing I've heard in the past week is uh, an album called A Jai. It's by a guy named Kenny Seagal. It's uh, mm. it's a pretty, pretty quick, uh, like it starts out kind of jazzy rap style and then it becomes a little more, uh, kind of just more traditional down the line. But I liked what I heard. It was pretty. It was pretty good. There was. It's mostly like vignettes. It's not even like. It's. It's tough to describe. But uh, I think. I think it'd be up your alley. It's. It's not quite like Thundercat territory. It's not like that. But it's also not as good as Thundercat. But it's. It's. I think people. It's. If you know. If you have that algorithm on Spotify. If you like this, you'll like this. If you like Thundercat, you'll probably like this album. So I recommend that. I also checked out the new AWOL Nation album. Wasn't for me. Didn't really like it that much. Uh, it was okay. Not great. So, But if you like them, you'll like them. You'll probably enjoy it. Um, I am lukewarm on them, but I wanted to give it a shot. It looked pretty cool. So the singles weren't that bad. But uh, then I got into the album, and it just it just wasn't for me. You, you get those albums every now and then. It's just not for you. Um, those are really the two I've been listening to. I got some stuff still on my playlist I have to dive into. Uh, I'm actually re-listening to uh, to Thundercats uh, the, to Drunk, so I'm I'm, uh, I'm listening to that again, uh, kind of diving back in. Uh, since I was kind of underwhelmed by some of the stuff I've been listening to, I wanted to listen to kind of a classic before I dive into stuff I might not like again. So uh, that that's what I've been listening to lately. What have you been consuming pop culture wise to distract from uh, distract from our current crisis? Well, I'll say you know as always, Thundercat always a, a great decision. Of course, well played on that. Um, this week's, I don't know, I've been a little flat out this week, so I haven't been watching as much, uh, T 
TV or anything. I have been when I when I get home, I'm in a documentary mode. So uh, this is <laughs> it's not exactly escapism, I guess. But I've been rewatching the Ken Burns uh, Vietnam War documentary this week. Oh yeah, uh, which I just thought was uh, you know, like all of his films, really incredibly well done. Um, I really enjoy the score, the uh, you know the Trent Reznor and uh, what is it, Atticus. Uh, Atticus Ross, Finch? No, I know Atticus, <laughs> Atticus Ross. Oh my God! Yeah, and that's where my mind's at these days. I almost, I almost thought Atticus Finch as well, and uh, that would be quite a collaboration between Trent Reznor and that would Atticus. Be, that would be something. I, that would. <laughs> but uh, I always enjoy their their scores for various projects, including I, I guess I will uh, I'll plug the the Watchmen series on HBO. I haven't uh, been rewatching that, but uh, they do the music for that. They did the music for the, the Social Network movie. That's right. Um, some other films. And the score and, uh, and the on the Ken Burns, the Vietnam War documentary, really kind of brings it to life. But it's just, it's a really well done, uh, well done film, like all of his films. I'll tell you what. Uh, I think that 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 Trent Reznor guy is going places. I'll tell you. I think he's going oh, yeah. places. He's got a real <laughs> bright future. I think that's uh, it's probably fair. It's only upward from here. That's right. Uh, so I guess that's what's been on my uh, my uh, watch list. Um, beyond that, as always, thanks to all of our uh, readers and listeners and everyone out there in our communities. Uh, we are hosted by Anchor Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on numerous other platforms. We will have a link up on our websites uh, once this podcast is goes live later today, um, directing you to where you can can find us um tip of the hat as always to my friend john schmittinghoff for the music at the top of the episode find us online warwickonline.com cranstononline.com johnstonsunrise.net follow me on twitter at roadie dan k and follow jake at jacob underscore morocco follow our sports editor alex sponsor at aspon27 and uh, check out our main roadie beat twitter account at roadie beat uh, you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, we're trying to to stay uh, stay active on social media and uh, uh, bring you breaking news on our websites and through those streams. Um, what else am I missing here? Uh, guess that's probably about cover all the bases. I've got, I've got it down so I've got it down so good now. The little spiel that uh, I felt like I was missing something. But. No, you got it all down pat. I would say. Bang. That's Bingo, right. bango. That's right. Well, uh, Jake, as always, thank you. For Radio Beacon, I'm Dan Kittredge. We will, uh, we will talk to you all next week.